sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologist set tailored book recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 393, and today we are talking about our favorite nonfiction of 2022 and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Tears of hello! Hello! We are going to talk about things that are true. Yes, all the fun, true stories. Or, well, some of them are not fun, but they're interesting. So, there's that. Always interesting. I was just reading an article uh, yesterday, possibly the day before, about how the celebrity memoirs, even the gigantic ones that we seem to have seen everywhere, are not selling like celebrity memoirs used to sell. And then we were talking about how we kind of felt like there wasn't like the really big nonfiction book of the year that everybody had to have besides, you know, I'm glad my mother died. And I think, you know, in talking to people everyone's like, I don't want to read anything true right now. Like, everything is horrible. I just want to read fiction. And I think that might be a reflection. I mean, when I worked at the bookstore, which was a long time ago now, I can't even believe it. You know, at Christmas, we always had, like, the big history book that we had to have, the big biography book that we had to have, the big cookbook that we had to have. And we would inevitably run out before Christmas and everyone would be cranky that they waited to the last minute. But I feel like there aren't a lot of those this year, except except maybe the Janae McCurdy. I haven't talked to anybody who works at a bookstore this year about their sales yet, but yeah, I just think, I think that's the reason. I think people are like, oh, the truth. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like there's some really great nonfiction books that I'm glad that I read this year. And some that like I, you know, would recommend as gifts. Obviously we're doing the show, but yeah, there's no clear winners kind of, floating to the top like it normally seems to be. But it's also admittedly been like a long time since I've worked in a bookstore now too. So yeah. who knows? But on the other hand, I read so many incredible nonfiction books this year. Yay! You know? You know, so for myself, that's exciting. I just, you know, just feel like collectively there aren't they're not like the big sellers. Even the ones like I was reading like the Matthew Perry went straight to number one, but sales dropped off sharply, like right after that, you know. So it's very interesting, and I wonder if it will turn around, but we are going to tell you about some that you should pick up because they're our favorite nonfiction reads of the year. Before we do that, I want to remind you that you can give people book recommendations as gifts. If you're looking for the perfect gift for the book nerd in your life, you can gift tailored book recommendations. That's our TBR that we always talk about on Book Riot. Uh, You can tell your special someone that they're getting TBR, and then they will tell our professional book nerds, who we call bibliologists, which is really fun to say, uh, and is always underlined in the Word documents and the Google documents, because they're like, that's not a word. And we're like, yes, it is. You can tell the bibliologists, you know, what they'll tell them what they love and what they don't love, 
what their reading goals are and what they need more of in their bookish life. And then they can just sit back while our bibliologists go to work selecting books just for them. TBR has plans for every budget. You can gift one quarter or a whole year. You can give hardcovers in the mail or recommendations only via email. And the recommendations only level is available worldwide. So you can visit mytbr.co slash gift to give the gift of books. That's mytbr.co slash gift. And now we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologist set tailored book recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Okay, so here we go, telling the truth. In shorter in shorter descriptions than last week, Vanessa and I got a little carried away, uh, and I was telling you, Tears of the Show went very long. <laughs> so I'm going to try and make it a little shorter this time. And I'm going to kick it off with Another Appalachia, Coming Up Queer and Indian in a Mountain Place by Nima Avishia. This is Avishia's memoir about growing up uh, here's here's the thing I love about nonfiction is that it's like everything about the book is right there in the subtitle. And now I'm going to like tell you that again. But it's her memoir about growing up in West Virginia. And she was a queer Hindu Indian American, which most of the other people there were not. Uh, her parents immigrated in the 1970s to work at a chemical factory in West Virginia. And This is her experience as a young Indian child in a very rural, very white part of the country and how she found her identity in an area that was very different from everything that she felt she wanted for herself and how she saw herself. Um, If you love memoirs, you you should definitely pick it up. This was actually put out by a small press, university press, and I can't remember how I found it, but I'm so glad that I did. Um, it feels like reading something written by a friend. It's very conversational and very warm and funny and smart. And Avicia is great in interviews. I've watched a couple of, of her YouTube video interviews, and she just seems like a person I want to hang out with. She just seems really cool. And I'm so glad I read this. It's Another Appalachia, Coming Up Queer and Indian in a Mountain Place by Nima Avashia. That is also on my to-be-read list, so I'm glad that you shouted it out. Um, my first pick is the one giant, huge nonfiction book you've probably heard about this year, which is <laughs> I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. And I was not originally, I think, drawn to this book. I wasn't really going to, you know, pick it up, and not because... You know, not for anything other than just like I'm busy and there's a lot of books I want to read. But so many people I know were like, oh, my gosh, it's so great. It's so good. You have to read it. And by that point, it was all sold out. So I listened to the audio, which I highly, highly recommend because um, Jeanette narrates it herself. It is the memoir of her young years, basically from like, like when she first started having memories um, around 
like five or six that her uh, involved her mom and the fact that her mom was maybe not like the most healthily and functioning adult and uh, goes through her early 20s. If you are unfamiliar with Jeanette McCurdy, she was a child actor. She was a Nickelodeon star. She was on a TV show with Ariana Grande. Very much like younger millennial, older Gen Z, like you probably grew up watching her on TV. So Jeanette um, also had a horribly emotionally abusive and physically abusive mom. And she was controlled every single moment of the day. Um, her mom enabled her dis- eating disorder and um, really just like very shocking all the things that she went through. So the book is written um, as kind of like a collection of memories and chapters that read like vignettes, um, but they are all written like in the present tense or not, I can't remember if they're in the present tense, but they, it's written through the eyes of Jeanette as she was at the age that she's recalling the memory. So it feels very immediate. And you get to see how she really truly believes that her mom is the greatest when she's the young, when she's younger. But then as she grows older, she slowly starts to realize that like, eh, you know, maybe um, this is not the healthiest relationship. But when she pulls back, her mom um, lashes out and things get kind of ugly. Unfortunately, um, her mom also has cancer and passes away from cancer. And Jeanette is grief stricken and it takes her a long time to, you know, learn how to heal herself and realize that her mom was not the greatest. So this is a really, really darkly funny yet moving and very sensitively written memoir like I'm in awe of her and it just kind of goes to show that like you never know what's happening behind closed doors or behind like the social media facade and I think it was really brave of her to write this um so despite the sort of clickbaity title definitely worth reading it is I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy you know she writes about a lot of difficult stuff in that book. And, yeah. you know, I've read and we've all read books that have a lot of difficult stuff in them. But she has a couple of experiences that we don't hear about very often. And there was something in that book that I think about often that made me cry, you know. And it's not something that you would expect. But, you know, as a society, for hundreds of years and books and movies and, and at school, you know, we've put this importance on the first kiss. Like your first oh, kiss, yeah. you know. And her first kiss was dictated by a bunch of writers in a room. Like, the first person she ever kissed, her first kiss was was for a television show that she was in. And I just, I just cried when I read that because it just, it struck me. It's so different than you would expect, you know. And, yeah, I could cry now just thinking about it again. <laughs> no. And that's, I think the power of this book is, like, she writes so well about so many different experiences. And I just, I feel so much for her. Like, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. could keep talking about this for hours, but yeah. Yeah, it's true. All right. I will move on to my next book, which is Strangers to Ourselves, Unsettled Minds, and the Stories That Make Us by Rachel Aviv. This is one of the New York Times top five nonfiction of the year, and it is a fascinating exploration of minds. And Aviv uses research as well as unpublished memoirs and journals to look at brains in crisis, Uh, mental illness. She gives different examples of people and how they respond to mental illness and their diagnoses. Um, And and a lot of it is just some very human responses to life. There is a story of a woman who is in jail after a severe mental break, and she is trying to get forgiveness from her child. 
There is a woman who stops taking her medication after a decade. You know, she'd been diagnosed with a mental illness and she, you know, says, okay, this is who I am now. And she takes the medication. And after a decade, she stops taking her medication because she doesn't remember who she was before she started taking it. Aviv herself was anorexic. And she talks about how that diagnosis defined her, you know, like that, that was the label that was put on her and, and how that shaped her life. And it's about how society and the medical profession respond to these things. You know, what has changed and what hasn't changed. And we've started the conversations about mental illness, certainly, but there's still this stigma around it. There are some very hard stories in this book, but it's fascinating and almost like hopeful. I'm going to say that. I feel bad. I'm going to say it though. I almost didn't read it because I thought the cover was a little boring. And I'm really sorry. Um, And I'm glad that I did pick it up. But when I first saw it, I was like, hmm. So I'm glad I read it. If you like Brain on Fire, if you like Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, if you like Kay Redfield Jameson, or even Leslie Jameson, this is a book that you're going to want to read immediately. It is Strangers to Ourselves, Unsettled Minds, and the Stories That Make Us by Rachel Aviv. Awesome. So my next pick is Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks by Patrick Radden Keefe. I was new to Patrick Radenkeefe's writing until I read Say Nothing, which is um, his book that came out a few years ago about a murder in Northern Ireland and also how it intersected with the Troubles and all that messy but very important political history, which I inhaled. And so I was excited to pick up this book. Um, he's also written Empire of Pain, which is about the Sackler dynasty, which is also very excellent. This new book is not really like a new, you know, new content. It's actually a collection of his um, essays that appeared in the New Yorker. Um, and they are mostly, a, you know, like true crime or explorations of crimes and criminals and um, scandals and all sorts of cons. Because I enjoy his his longer works, I was really excited to pick this up. Um, you know, I guess technically you could get a subscription to The New Yorker and read all these th- books online, or not, not all these books, all these stories online. But it was really fun to have them all collected together and kind of read the order that he arranged them in. These are essays that, you know, have ranged over the years from like the early 2000s to more recently. It's really interesting to see like just kind of like the the breadth of uh his interests as far as researching these stories and like these are essays and so they're they're hefty essays but they are so intriguing and so well written and then you stop and think like oh my gosh he probably had to research for months if not years to pull together all of the elements of the story and then he distills it into not even a book, but like a single essay, like that is nonfiction essay writing, like at its finest, I think. I also really love essay collections, especially when they tell really interesting true stories. Um, So and I'm like, that is not my wheelhouse as far as like writing. So I always admire reading other people doing it very well. So there's some really fascinating cases in here. Um, I think my favorite one, though, is the story of the woman who turns in her own brother who is a criminal, and then she has to go into hiding because he wants to kill her out of revenge. 
just very interesting exploration of like the crimes, but also what that does to a family. But there's all sorts of really great stuff in here. So that is Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks, not Cooks, (laughs) Crooks, by Patrick Radden Keefe. That'll be the sequel. (laughs) Yes, The Killer Cooks. People doing bad things in the kitchen. Which I don't even want to think about now. So I'm going to move on to my <laughs> next pick, which is If Nietzsche Were a Narwhal, What Animal Intelligence Reveals About Human Stupidity by Justin Gregg. I read this because the title is amazing and narwhals are awesome. Um, I love all the debates online about when like someone's like, wait, narwhals are real? And it's like, yes, they're like whales with unicorn horns and it's great. And this is about, well, how humans have always and do consider themselves to be the top species on the planet because we have opposable thumbs and we, you know, are very murderous and, you know, we play video games. But our progress is actually clouding our abilities to evolve. Our, you know, thought processes and our actions have held us back, kind of. Like, if you look at other animal species, they have it more together. But because of us, they're all having a hard time, you know. And maybe we are the smartest, but, you know, we could have done better. You know, we're loud and murderous, and we should have been using our, you know, our brains for more good instead of all this harm and destruction that we've been causing the planet. Because, yeah, we've we've really ruined the planet and most of the species on it. But I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but that is the theme of this book because, you know, Nietzsche was a nihilist and there is some philosophy in this book regarding, you know, Nietzsche and it's, you know, Greg kind of has a nihilist take on humanity. You know, he explains how there is a very good chance or, well, a 10% chance, which I consider to be a very good chance that humans will be extinct or have caused whatever it is that will bring about our extinction by the end of this century. And uh, we're already 20 something years into it, so... 2021 is looking pretty grim, you know, but also, yes, this is very grim, but he does talk about how humans are capable of change. We are. And and how we create great beauty, you know, whether it's song or art or, you know, just we're also rad, but also bad. Uh, Justin Gregg is a senior research associate with the Dolphin Communication Project, which, you know, dolphins, famously very smart. Uh, He's also an adjunct professor at St. Francis Xavier University, where he lectures on animal behavior and cognition. So he knows his stuff about animals, and he just wrote this fascinating, fascinating book. Um, So it is called If Nietzsche Were a Narwhal, What Animal Intelligence Reveals About Human Stupidity by Justin Gregg. It's just really good. You know, I'm always, I'm always team animal. Like whenever I watch, you know, a movie or read a book, you know, like, like I watch Jaws, I'm like, team shark. You know, <laughs> like I'm always rooting for, for the other species because we're the worst. Humans are the worst animals. Yes. But also great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we create. Because they write books. We create books. So that's, that's yep. cool. <laughs> All right, my next pick is um, a slightly um, lighter pick from the last couple of ones, which is Who the F Are You by Hudofami. 
And it is a graphic memoir, and it's based off of her popular um, webcomic um, series about um, her experiences growing up um, Muslim, wearing a hijab in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. And if you're unfamiliar, Dearborn, Michigan has um, like one of the highest um, populations of American Muslims in the United States, I believe just a huge community there. So it's about how she grew up always kind of being like the, the girl that stood out in her class because she wore hijab and she was Muslim. And then her parents moved them to Dearborn to be closer to a community. And all of a sudden she was like, just one in a sea of other girls who were brown and wearing hijabs. And she really had to figure out like what defines her other than like what used to make her stand out because now she's no longer standing out. Um, This is a really funny book because she has this really dry sense of humor and the way she writes it is try to describe this. It's like not exactly like straight up, like this is what happened and this is what's said, but she kind of writes it as if everybody around her is kind of in on the joke. And so it's, you know, maybe not like hyper realistic, but it, it get does the job of telling you the story. And also, um, I just like the way she characterizes her, her friends and her family and her sisters, particularly the way she draws her sisters is really interesting. But I also really was drawn to this because I f- I'm not sure exactly how old she is, but it feels like she must be she and I must be a very similar age because like the swoop haircuts of like the boys that she goes to high school with. And the fact that like she has an unfortunate experience with jolt pop, I'm like, Oh, this feels very familiar to my high school experience. So I definitely um, connected to it on that front, but it's, you know, it's a book about like stereotypes, but also flipping stereotypes and trying to just kind of figure out who you are and defining yourself beyond like the obvious things like appearance and family, you know, that usually define you and, and just kind of finding your own individuality. So I thought it was really funny. Um, it's Who the F Are You by Huda Fami. I also enjoyed that very much. Yes. Uh, my next pick today uh, I just read a few days ago, it was one of the New York Times top five nonfiction of the year, and I kept saying, I'm going to get to that, and so I finally sat down and read it. It's very short, and oh my goodness, if you talk to my friends and my husband, you will know that I have said, this book is so beautiful, this book is so beautiful, like 500 times, like telling them about it. It's Stay True, a memoir by Hua Xu. It's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he is the child of Taiwanese immigrants. He talks about his parents coming to America, uh, how, you know, in the 60s, America was like, please come to our colleges and, you know, teach us math and science and learn about math and science and, you know, help us, you know, grow as a country in these fields, which is not the ideas that are that are being put forth today. And his parents eventually ended up in California. And he grew up there on the coast. And when he was in college, he made a friend named Ken. Ken was very different than Hua. Um, He didn't really have anything in common with him. Ken was from a Japanese-American family who had been in the country for many generations. Um, He seemed like the opposite of everything that Hua liked. But everybody has those friends. And they began to you know, find things in common, uh, mostly American culture. They were very taken with American culture and, you know, what's cool and what's new and finding, like, the cool things that people don't know about. And they would take long drives and hang out on the weekends. And it's just this beautiful friendship. And then three years 
after uh, Hua meets Ken, Ken was killed in a carjacking. And it's very mm-hmm. sad. This is just a beautiful love letter to family and friendship and identity and America. Uh, he talks a lot about not fitting in and finding the things that you felt like only you knew about, like the things that you thought were cool. And I really identify with that because that was an experience that I had a lot growing up. You know, I lived in in Maine and we didn't have the internet and, you know, I would read, you know, Spin and Rolling Stone and I would find these albums and order them. And it, it was almost like listening to myself. Like he was talking about how he was the first person in his school to listen to Nirvana. And I was like, that was me. Like I was the first person, like nobody else knew them. Uh, and, and what that, that's a very specific feeling that all of us probably can identify with when you're like, I'm the only one who knows about this thing. Although it's not as common now with the internet, of course, but it, it just, it really spoke to me and he, he writes about it so beautifully and so simply. And I was like, these are, you know, thoughts. I love those books. We're like, these are thoughts that I have that I've never been able to make come out of my mouth. You know, it's so great. And it's so beautiful. (laughs) That's all I can say about it. And you should read it. It's Stay True, a memoir by Hua Xu. Awesome. Um, So I'm going back to the dark side with my next pick, which is The Forever (laughs) Witness. The How DNA and Genealogy Solved a Cold Case Double Murder. It's written by Edward Humes. Um, so if you are at all interested in true crime, I think this is a must read because it is one half of the story of um, a cold case is the murder of Tanya Van Kolenberg and her boyfriend, Jay Cook. They were a young couple from Canada who drove down to Seattle um, to run an errand for Jay's dad, and they never returned, and their bodies were found um, about a week later, and they had been murdered. And it was a really confusing case because they, the method of killing was different for either of them, and their bodies were dumped miles apart. But they concluded that one person probably murdered the both of them. And this case went, this happened in the late 80s. So the case went cold for like decades. And so that is like half of the story. And then the other half of the book is about um, a cold case detective um, named Jim Scharf, who was really just taken by this case and he really wanted to solve it. And he was also really keen on doing like whatever it took to explore new technology and new options to solve it. So the other half of the book is about the rise of genealogy and DNA and using genealogy and DNA to solve crimes. So like, obviously, the most famous, I think, incident of this, because it was like the first case that broke um, national news was um, the solving of the um, Golden State Killer which if you've not read I'll Be Gone in the Dark is an excellent book about that case. And that case um, was solved with DNA like right after the book came out within a couple of months. Um, What was really interesting about that in reading this book, I discovered um, it took them months to use DNA to solve the I'll Be Gone in the Dark Golden State Killer case. And the reason why it took them months in part was because there were some ethical implications that certain investigators were not willing to cross certain lines in order to solve the case. And certain people in the Golden State Killer case crossed those ethical lines because they thought catching a killer was more important. And that is like a debate for another day. But like the second it broke that they'd solved the case via DNA with the Golden State Killer, Jim Scharf was like, okay, let's 
go. And so he and Cece Moore, who's become somewhat famous for her um, instrumental use of um, genealogy and DNA, um, they ran the results through this database. And while it took months for them to find the Golden State Killer, it took them two hours to find the killer of Jay and Tanya. So, and then I think this was also the first case that actually went to trial with the DNA from genealogy. So there's a lot of interesting, like philosophical questions and ethical implications. And the case is a lot more complicated than I realized in terms of like, what law enforcement has access to in searching for DNA results and matches. And obviously, this is going to be something that like, we as a society have to reckon with, like, do people's uh, privacy does, it, does privacy matter more than like potentially finding a killer or a rapist or any of these like horrible people who have committed awful crimes? Because like, I don't, you know, on one hand, privacy is important. But on the other hand, like my DNA privacy has already kind of like got out the window because I know my dad and my aunt have already done DNA tests. So they, you know, they can be connected to me very easily. Um, so I think it's just, it's very interesting. It was very well written and I thought it was pretty well researched. And I think it poses a lot of very fascinating ethical questions. And I do think that forensic DNA and genealogy are going to be like huge factors. And we're going to be seeing a lot of interesting cases being solved within like the next, um, you know, five, 10, even like years, but like also so many interesting cases that have eluded us for decades have already been solved with DNA. So anywho, that's my like nerd out about this book. I thought it was really interesting. It is The Forever Witness by Edward Humes. So one of the people who was basically key to solving the Golden State Killer uh, case was Barbara Ray Ventner, who is a genealogy yeah. expert who does amateur DNA sleuthing. And she has a great book coming out in February that I wanted to mention. It's called <gasps> oh. I Know Who You Are and How an Amateur DNA Sleuth Unmasked the Golden State Killer and Changed Crime Fighting Forever. And there's yes. a lot of, you know, what you're saying. It's just very interesting, you know, this in like, you know, how, she, you know, she was the key to, to solving the whole thing. It's it's very fascinating. So fascinating. So, and Jim Scharf in this book, he was um, consulting with her, and he mm-hmm. kept saying, "Like, will you do my case next?" And she was like, "I'm I'm wrapped up in this really big thing right now. I can't. But as soon as I'm done, I'll let you know." And then, like yeah. hours before the announcement, she's like, "I might have more time on my hands." And um, <laughs> and then he was like, kind of taken aback because basically she what she ended up doing was running DNA through a database that, like, according to policies, like you you shouldn't be running killer potential killer dna through because mm-hmm. it was a violation of the privacy policy and but she did it anyway and like you know you can debate her choice or whatever but um cc moore refused to do it because she was like ethically i don't think that's right but when when she did it everybody else was like okay why not let's do it because you already like she crossed that line and so a lot of people then crossed yeah. that line as well and like i, I want to be clear she didn't commit any crimes or anything it was more of like a moral question of like should we be using this information in this way and a lot of people were saying no and she apparently very quietly was like yeah i'm gonna go there um so it's just it's interesting and i think there's gonna be so many i'm excited to read her book and there's a lot of interesting conversations that are going have been happening and are going to be happening around this awesome yeah. all right So before I get back to happy books, we're going to hear from another sponsor. And I'm going to pretend I know how to find my notes again now that (laughs) that we're we're back. Um, So I just want to quickly mention this book. I did talk about it on the Gift Guide show, um, but it's so much fun. And I think it's a really great pick for people who love science. 
It is The Milky Way, an autobiography of our galaxy by Moya McTeer. She has, like, the coolest biography of anyone I've ever written. I read it on the show that time, so I'm not going to go over it again this time. But uh, McTeer is an astrophysicist and folklorist, if I remember correctly, the first to get both of those degrees. And she discusses the Milky Way, our galaxy, the stars and sky above us, uh, from its beginnings to its end, which will be millions of years from now. So, you know, don't cancel your plans. And the thing that makes this book so much fun besides the fact that it's, like, super smart and interesting, is that it's told from the point of view of the Milky Way. Like, the galaxy is talking about itself. And I think it's a really fun way to impart information. And I didn't find it cheesy. I found it delightful. Um, and then I started thinking, like, what other monumental things in our world, you know, could be told in the first person? Like, like should, is this going to be a new trend, do you think, that we'll see, you know, now that she's kind of started it? I thought it was great fun. It is The Milky Way, an autobiography of our galaxy by Moya McTeer. Awesome. My next pick kind of skirts the line of like nonfiction and fiction, but I think it's really fascinating. So I'm going to talk about it anyway. Plus, as I was telling Liberty, I read a lot of nonfiction this year, but just not a lot of new nonfiction. I read a lot of backlist. So... The one I'm going to talk about now is Flung Out of Space, and it is inspired by the Indecent Adventures of Patricia Highsmith. It is a graphic biography slash fictional exploration of Patricia Highsmith's life written by Grace Ellis and Hannah Templar. If you are unfamiliar with Patricia Highsmith, she wrote um, Strangers on a Train, The Talented Mr. Ripley, But then she also, under a pseudonym, wrote The Price of Salt, which became the movie Carol, um, which is just excellent all around. So she lived a very interesting life. She started out um, in comics and she was writing a lot of pulp comics and, and, you know, not really thinking very highly of what she was working on. It was kind of like, this just pays the bills. Um, she ended up, you know, going on to write these wonderful, you know, dark sort of interesting thrillers and mysteries. Strangers on a Train was um, actually made into a Hitchcock movie, but she was also a lesbian and she didn't always like that about herself. Um, there was a lot of um, self-hatred, a lot of internalized homophobia. Like, I'll, I'll be real, she was not a great person, but what she did for the artistic community in terms of just like, you know, writing these books that we still read and study, writing The the Price of Salt, which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it is like one of, if not the first um, lesbian novel published in the U.S. that didn't have like a horrifically tragic ending because like a lot of those lesbian um, novels in that age and era um, it was like two women fall in love and then one gets murdered or one tragically dies because you can't have two women like having a happily ever after and you know the price of salt is not a happy book but it does end with the two characters together so like that is significant in literature but also you know, again, she she was not always the greatest person. And so I think this is a really interesting, you know, graphic sort of biography of her life and her struggles with a lot of different things. And it's 
it's not like a, a vision of her through rose tinted glasses. Like it, it is um, exploring her, her complexity. And I also just kind of think it's a little bit funny that it, they do it through like a comic form, which is a form that she wasn't the most fond of. I mean, she used it to pay her bills, but she always aspired for something more. So really interesting book, especially if you have ever read anything by Patricia Highsmith, if you are curious about this time period, um, like the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I I was very fascinated by the book. Um, So that is Flung Out of Space by Grace Ellis and Hannah Templer. I thought that book was excellent. I loved the artwork, and I think that the authors did a great job. Like, they did a great example uh, at the beginning of explaining why they wrote this book about Patricia Highsmith and talking about why they wrote about this problematic person who made significant contributions to our society. Like why it's important to learn about them, even when, you know, she was a garbage human, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, I thought they did a great job explaining that. It's a great book. Yes. So now for something completely different. Um, I talked about this when it came out, and I just adore this book so much. It's 100 Animals That Can Effing End You by <laughs> Mamadou Njai. And he is a TikTok creator with, like, a bazillion followers. And he talks about animals, but he calls them funny things. And this book is exactly as advertised. He discusses 100 different animals, different creatures on the planet that could potentially destroy you from the obvious, you know, giant, you know, hippos and rhinos and and sharks to like little tiny creatures, you know, like the thing about how mosquitoes are actually the most deadly animal or creature on the planet. And I just want to read you a couple of things because he's so funny and me just telling you is not enough. So like it's broken down into a hundred of these animals, but as well as like some, some chapters, like uh, this is survival tips that can save your life in the water. Number four, Never go swimming with a kangaroo. He's not trying to be your friend. Kangaroos will lead predators to water and then grab them and attempt to drown them, dudes to dingoes, and they will do this to you. Kangaroos are not afraid to get a life sentence if it means ending yours. (laughs) Uh, He talks about the Cape Buffalo. Are you still expecting advice on how to outwit one? Climb a tree. That's the best I can do for you. Climb a tree and pray the animal literally called Black Death doesn't have homicide on its mind. If they can make a lion do a barrel roll, they can easily make you six feet deeper. And what else? Oh yeah, the golden poison dart frog. And he gives like a rating on like the chances of them ending you. He calls it the Merc rating and and the golden poison dart frog gets an eight. It says... And since its poison stops nerve impulses, not only can it make your heart file for unemployment, this murder kermit could turn you into the past tense in less than 10 minutes. <laughs> it's just filled with, like, really funny things. Plus, tons and tons of photos and illustrations. And I, I really feel like this book should be getting more attention um, because it's hilarious. And if you love animals or learning about scary things... It's a great gift book, first of all. And I had forgot. I was like, oh, I should talk about it on the gift guide show. But it's just so much fun. It's 100 animals that can effing end you. doesn't actually say effing, but I'm saying it. Uh, I mean, it does say it, but not that word. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Mamadou Njai. 
Awesome. My next pick is Crying in the Bathroom, a memoir by Erica L. Sanchez. And um, she wrote the YA book, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, uh, which came out like, I don't know, like three or four years ago. Really, really great novel. Um, and I I think it was like a finalist for the National Book Award. It, it won some awards. It was really excellent. So this book is more of an adult memoir. It's a collection of essays. It is about growing up in Chicago, um, like in the early 90s, not in the early 90s, but like in the 90s and early 2000s. And it is you know, just about her trying to find her way as this daughter of um, Mexican immigrants and also somebody who felt like a misfit who had a really dark sense of humor, but she also really loved comedy and she has this like passion for life. It is about, um, you know, living with mental illness and just kind of dealing with that and also trying to figure out how to be an artist in a world where, you know, it's hard to be an artist without lots of financial support and or institutional support. Um, but she, she does, does it. She finds her way. And so I thought it was really funny. It, it definitely vacillates between like some really hard hitting emotional essays to just like really funny essays. So you'll get like the whole range of experience here. The cover is also really, really gorgeous. Um, and I'm really glad to learn more about her. Um, I hope she writes more YA fiction because I really enjoyed I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. So that is Crying in the Bathroom, a memoir by Erica L. Sanchez. My next book I did just talk about recently on the show, but it's giving me an existential crisis. So I guess that means I can't stop thinking about it. Plus, I loved it. It's Butts, a backstory <laughs> by Heather Radke. And yes, it says butts in the title. So ha ha ha, let's all laugh about it and then move on because this is a really good book. But like I said, it has made me really aware of my butt now, right? Like this is about butts, like the outside part of our body, the muscle that we sit on. And I never really thought about it. It's just always there. And you don't really think about it. You don't really know anything about it. And you need it in order to walk upright and balance and do all these things. But, like, did you ever think about that before? Probably not. And this is about butts in history. You know, how they've evolved. Which, you know, version of man, you know, all those years ago first had a butt that stuck out from its body. How we... That makes us different than all the other animals in the animal kingdom. You know, having a butt. And, you know, I was talking about this with my husband. He's like, that can't be true. And I was like, it is true. He's like, what about, like, monkeys? And I was like, monkeys have teeny little cheeks. They don't have, like, a butt that sticks off their body. Like, if you think about it, it's true. And there are some other, like, really interesting things that only humans have that I cannot remember at this point. But it's about how, you know, the size and shape of them, what is in fashion is dictated by racism and societal pressures. Um, there's the the woman whose butt was used for the model in jeans, you know, and, like, when you get a pair of jeans, like, her butt was the shape that they used to use for, for jeans. Um, she revisits the Sir Mix-a-Lot video for Baby Got Back because, you know, all about butts. And also she talks about her own life. You know, as a young girl, uh, she had a large butt, and she explains, like, the first time she remembers being made to feel shame over it. Like, when she was made to feel bad, like, people started pointing it out. It's so good, and I know it sounds wild when I just keep yelling butts, but it's so interesting. So if you want to read a great book about something that you probably don't know about, and then think about it nonstop, 
you know, like, I'm sitting on my butt right now, <laughs> which is like, I'm usually sitting on my butt. You know, it's, it's wild. It's called Butts, A Backstory by Heather Radke. Also, when this comes out, like in the UK, will they call it Bottoms, A Backstory? <laughs> I'm curious. This is a good, good question. Um, also, this book wins all the awards for like best title and cover. So Yes. <laughs> it just has a giant peach emoji. Yes. All right. Um, my next pick, my last pick for today, um, which is, I think, really solidifying my taste as a nonfiction reader, which is like true crime um, and history, which is so my book is Murder Among Friends, How Leopold and Loeb Tried to Commit the Perfect Crime by Candace Fleming. This is technically a, a YA nonfiction, but it is really great read and great for adults as well. This is the story of Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb, who, when they were college students at the University of Chicago, put their heads together and decided that like they were smart enough to commit the perfect crime. They were going to kidnap and murder a young teenage boy that they both knew. And they did. And that's really horrifying. And they, you know, were maybe on the verge of actually getting away with it, except for the fact that one of them dropped their glasses on the crime scene. So this was a really famous trial and case. Um, It happened in 1924. And I did not know a lot about it. Like I, I've heard the names Leopold and Loeb before. And obviously, like, just in general culture, like they've been referred to. But I, I, I admit that I did not know the particulars of the case or the trial that followed. Um, so what's interesting is that they were actually defended by Clarence Darrow, who um, you might know from the um, Scopes trial, which was the um, trial where the science teacher John Scopes tried to teach evolution in a small town and things got wild (laughs) over there. Um, So he defended John Scopes and um, he also defended these two men. And it's an interesting exploration of like how the crime occurred, but also the fallout and how it really forced a lot of people in society to consider like what is like is capital punishment necessary? Like, do, do we need to have the death penalty? What is the purpose of the death penalty? Does the death penalty actually deter crime? Um, Obviously our, we all are going to have opinions on that now that are more informed by more research. But in 1924, almost 100 years ago, these were newer, I think, questions amongst, you know, the American justice system. And so that's why, in part why it was so sensational. But it's also an interesting exploration, too, of like, how does privilege affect the justice system? And well, we all know the answer to that. But this is an interesting history of how that played out in 1924 against like the backdrop of a frankly very brutal crime. Um, my one critique about this book, and I'm still recommending it, so I still think it's really great, is that it really is about like Leopold and Loeb, and it's not so much about like the victim of the crime. And generally when reading true crime, we always want to, you know, try to center the victim. So I think that maybe the author could have done that a little bit more, but you still, you know, get... You, you get a, a wide scope of this trial. And to be fair, this book is about more about the case and, and these two people and how they 
you know, didn't get away with it, but how they avoided the death penalty. Um, Spoiler alert, they avoid the death penalty. But yeah, it was just really fascinating. And I'm really glad to have read it. It is Murder Among Friends, How Leopold and Loeb Tried to Commit the Perfect Crime by Candace Fleming. It is a really interesting book. And they did, you know, avoid the death penalty, but nothing good is going to happen to them. You know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was one of those cases like, Lizzie Borden and D.B. Cooper that I, I just read everything that I could about. Um, and it it was like really, you know, society's first look at just pure evil, you know, yeah. because it was getting out there in the papers now, like nationally and worldwide. And people were like, whoa, there are people like this who actually exist in the world. And it is the basis for one of only two Hitchcock films I have ever seen, uh, Rope, which came out in 1948 and was first said to have been shot in one long take, but then it turns out that actually he just made it look like it was in one long take. But it has Jimmy Stewart in it, and it's really good. If you're interested in this case, I recommend it. Oh, yeah. I have not seen that one. I've seen a lot of Hitchcock. It's funny how a lot of my picks keep relating to Hitchcock movies today. Um, No, I've seen a lot (laughs) of Hitchcock, but I've not seen that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I've only ever seen this in Psycho, so does that cover all his Movies that just have one word titles. I don't know, but um, um, the birds should... is two words. But the yeah, you know, two words. I I I do love the birds. Um, but yeah. Oh no, Rebecca. He re- he did Rebecca. <gasps> right. I should watch that one. Yeah. Too. Um, I should watch yeah. more Hitchcock. Basically, is is what I'm should do. It's it's interesting. I like Rebecca, and it's based off of a book as well. One of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. I have critiques about Hitchcock's version of Rebecca, but I also have critiques about the new Netflix version of Rebecca. And now I'm getting off on a tangent, so you got to cut me off. <laughs> that's okay, but you know that The Birds is also Daphne Dumas, right? That's, yes. That's based on yeah. one of her short stories as well. And the short story is so different from the movie. Yeah. I, I've not read I've not read Rebecca, which <gasps> I, I really should, right? Oh, please do. Oh my yeah. gosh. I love it. I love Rebecca and I love Jamaica and she's a great writer, but also probably in the category of maybe complicated and not always the best person. Yeah. Well, now I have to read it. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> so my last pick for today is, speaking of maybe not being the best person, it's How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question by Michael Schur, which might have my favorite cover of the year because it's like a perfect blue sky with these fluffy white clouds. And it says how to be perfect. And then the last letter, the T in perfect is like off the page and on the next like next line. Um, and I just think that's so funny. If the name Michael Schur sounds familiar to you, that is because he wrote for The Office, he was the co-creator of Parks and Recreation, and he was the creator of The Good Place, which is my favorite show of the last yes. few years. And, and he's kind of, like, really, like, cheaty with his interest in philosophy. After I read this book, I went back and watched The Good Place, um, and I, I think it was, like, my sixth time watching it, and I love it more every time. You know, I love stuff like like that because... I'm constantly fascinated by people who have faith. I was not raised with any religion. I I don't feel that I have a faith, you know, and all of my come to Jesus moments haven't led me to Jesus, but instead to more, you know, worry and panic about the world. And there's this idea of like good and bad in that show and being able to change your behavior if you really knew how it goes, you know, and, and that fascinates me. Plus, it's really funny and I just love everybody in it. But this book gives examples of good and bad and things, you know, like, why you shouldn't do things, but like simple things. He would explain like, you know, why you shouldn't punch somebody for no reason. Should you punch somebody? You know, it it goes into all that. You know, he talks about moral quandaries. It discusses philosophy, 
but so that everyone can understand it. Like, even Jason Mendoza can understand it. And if you want to think about stuff besides your butt, like, you know, heavy stuff besides your butt, like life, it's a fun and educational book, um, but also not too heavy that you will set it down immediately. Uh, It's just really fun. It's How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question by Michael Schur. I love The Good Place, too. I'm going to have to pick that up. Oh, my goodness. It's so amazing. So those are our picks for our favorite nonfiction of the year. And what are you going to read now? Oh, man, that is like an existential question at this time of the year, because I just want to read all the things before the end of the year. But I am just started and will be continuing to read We Deserve Monuments by Jas Hammonds. <gasps> so good so far. I'm really loving it. So I'm excited to dive into that one fully. I think I've just got like 50 pages into it and I'm already enjoying it. Yay! That's exciting. So because apparently she doesn't sleep, uh, there's a new T. Kingfisher coming next year. Um, there's already another one coming. Oh, my goodness. But now there's a novella coming in August of next year called Thornhedge, which I am almost finished reading, which is really fun. It reminds me a lot of The Princess and the Forty Towers, or I can't remember how it goes now, the Tamsin Muir book that is not the Gideon series that came out a couple of years ago. It's really fun about a fairy and changelings. But then, just before we started recording this, like you were, you were there. You were on the phone with me when I discovered that... The new Nick Harkaway novel is in my inbox. It's Titanium yeah. Noir. It has a fluorescent green cover. I love brightly colored books. If it was me, like, picking covers for books, I would always make every book fluorescent because it stands out. And that's what you want people to go, whoa, look at that book. Or maybe, you know, or maybe you don't want fluorescent books in your house. But I don't know. I love the cover. And I love him so much. So I'm very excited about that. I think it comes out, let's see, when does it come out? On my birthday next year? Nope, on May. Ooh. There's a lot of books coming out. Um, I have, like, a birthday new release day next year. So I feel very special. Like, new Colson Whitehead. Super excited. Like, for my birthday. <sighs> they did it just for you. It's true. Yes. I live in a very small world in which I rule. Um, so this one's coming out on May 16th. Yay. Yay. So that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to give the gift of books. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. If you want to talk about books or anything, uh, you can find us online. Teresa, do you hang out on Twitter now? <laughs> No, I'm, no yeah. I'm like, I technically still have an account, but I have not logged on in weeks. I'm on Instagram at, at Tears of Price. All right. And I hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review that helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading!